Well, I'm sure this morning when you, when you came to the gathering, you did not think that Ted Lasso would be leading you in worship. So good. Halloween on a Sunday, what do you do? So good. Hey, um, yeah, a little double do this morning. These guys are doing great as we just regather. And so, as you know, we've had some guest worship leaders with us, and the, the team is doing great and just trying to ease our way back in slowly to gathering together on Sundays here in this room together. And so, so great to have you if you're new or visiting with us. My name is Drew. If we have not met, would love to meet you. And there's an iPad at the back too. If you just want to sign in on that, there's just prompts there. We'd love to help you. We'll just send you a gift just for being with us, but thrilled you're uh, here with us today. Everybody doing okay? You're looking good behind the masks, and uh, I know it's reading week for many of our students, so a number of students uh, just talking to this week. Um, some really great things happening on campus, and so they're just taking a break, and hopefully they're getting some rest as well, but it's good to be together. There's a, just really one announcement. There's lots of stuff going on. Communities are building and forming. I know we're uh, in the process of launching some communities as well. I know we've reached out, and we'll talk more with some of you that we've reached out, but if you want to be a part of a community, just go to mypractice.church slash involved. There's all sorts of prompts there. Uh, the other thing is just this. I think there's a slide in the teachings portion, Tim, but tomorrow evening, um, we're, I'm just doing an evening with a friend of mine. His name is Dr. Lee Beach, and I'm teaching a course at Master's College and Seminary on uh, mission in post-Christian Canada, and then all of the dis- that combined with all of the discussion we've been having recently around this big theme of whether church or not is worth it, kind of in a post-pandemic pandemic-shaped world, post-Christian world. Um, I've just had great conversations with people in our community. Like, this happens, right? We have our gathering together, and then we talk, and we hang out, and lots of people are wrestling through a lot of things. Lee wrote a great book a number of years ago called The Church in Exile, and so I've invited the students from that course I'm teaching, along with anybody else that wants to, to come along tomorrow evening on Zoom if you want to join us and just join in with us and you can ask questions. We're basically gonna take 45 minutes to an hour and just talk church in post-Christian Canada. And what we kind of see as well, we're gonna talk a little bit about what we see the church looking like in the future, in a pandemic-shaped world. I was gonna itch my head like I had a hat on and I'm wearing a visor at church. That is embarrassing, can I just say? I met some new folk this morning and I had to like preface. Heather's like, if there are new people you, and they do not know what Ted Lasso is, you will have to preface that you do not dress like this or shave like this or wear a visor in the middle of October, end of October. Anyways, um, sorry, I do have an itchy head though. Um, what was I saying? Yes, Lee is coming. We're going to talk 45 minutes. I hope you can join us. I think it will be beneficial around some of the things we've been wrestling through as we talk about church in the post-Christian moment that we're in. Cool? So tomorrow, 8 p.m., I think that is. So join us. Uh, You just have to go to get the Zoom link because we don't want anybody infiltrating on us (laughs) because that happens. So um, I'm just really excited about this season we're in. And I did not know when we started this teaching series uh, called Is It Worth It? Uh, The Discipline of Church in a Post-Pandemic World. I did not know if it would be like six weeks or eight weeks Our plan has always been is that we're going to get into the letter of Galatians and just start walking through it, but we're actually going to hold off until the new year for that, and we're going to take this a little farther. I'm going to teach a little bit this morning around corporate worship and the things that shape us. Then we're going to take a few weeks and talk about the future church, what we believe that God is leading us into in the future, obviously deeply rooted in the history and past of the church. Then obviously we'll be at Advent, like, yeah, 
Christmas is coming, so we'll be uh, launching into kind of an Advent theme in December, and then we'll look at Galatians in the new year, and I'm excited about that. But one of the things I think we have to wrestle through is this idea of worship. When we, if I were just to put it out there in a room of 100 people, I am sure for many in that room, there would be all sorts of different opinions and ideas around what worship it is. And a lot of times we don't give this, give kind of our past, whether it's our family of origin or our church of origin growing up. A lot of times we don't give credit to those things really shaping our minds and our hearts around what worship is. For some, some of my Pentecostal charismatic folk, where you at? You grew up in this environment. Worship was like long, long church services. It was boisterous singing together in community. It got really spiritual when the guy did not get up and preach and teach. You just sang and had ministry time all morning. Anybody need therapy like me? Anybody? Anybody with me? It was good, but like that was actually seen as like extra spiritual. We didn't get to the preach. We didn't get to the teaching from the scripture because it was, you know, anyways, I'm wrestling through it. It's all good. Um, For some of you, maybe it's just music. You've just kind of, we do this. We call, and we've actually really pushed back against it here, calling what we just did here on its own worship. But for many, that's kind of the deal. It's interesting in the Bible, like in the New Testament, the layers when it comes to this word or a concept or idea of worship. There's actually three primary words that are used. I don't know if you can throw them up, Tim. There's three primary words used in the New Testament in Greek, the language of the New Testament, around worship. The first one is very prevalent. It's used throughout. The word is latorgia, latorgia. And this just simply means this idea of latorgia is the work of the people. It's actually the word that we now translate into English as liturgy. Sometimes you'll see this word latorgia translated in your New Testament Bible into English as ministry or service. In the ancient world, it often had to do with a service that someone performed voluntarily for the state or a wider community. This word latorgia was actually used. We now think of it more as like liturgy. Listen to Acts 13. Uh, While they were worshiping or ministering, ministering, that word latargia is used. The Lord in fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul. And so just a vision, kind of a snapshot, a picture for us that this is what Paul called himself as he brought, you know, a redistribution of finances to the early church, the Gentile churches, to the impoverished Christians in Jerusalem. He called himself a minister or a servant, and part of that word that is used is the, the root word, laturgia, service or ministry. And so we take this word now, and we kind of look at it as the idea of the work of the people. One of the things we do is we have like an hour gathering here, maybe a little bit more, and we would call that our liturgy. So that's actually one vision, one signpost of what worship is, like gathering together like this and serving and ministering to each other. And even, and I don't say this a lot, even the position that I'm in right now, kind of hope, hopefully, though I look kind of weird this morning, ministering and serving you is part of the greater work of the people. You follow me? So that's one, one thread, one layer to it. The next one, though, is the word latria, latria. And this is actually a vision or an idea for us that worship is all of life. Throughout the New Testament, this word latria is used as sacrifice. 
um, it actually taught, is used when it talks about formal religious acts, especially sacrifice. So according to Luke, the gospel writer in Luke, Anna engaged in latria, this type of worship in all of life. In, it says day and night in the temple, praying and fasting. So there's a sense that yes, worship is like the work of the people when we get together, but there's also this other element that Latria, this type of worship, is everywhere I go. Every, every moment I breathe, everything I do is like this living sacrifice. This is what you hear in Romans. For Paul, Latria had come not to refer to ceaseless temple worship, but actually to worship that permeates our entire lives. Listen to Paul when he writes in Romans 12. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as what? living sacrifices. That the picture you get of Anna in the temple, the language is kind of the same thing, not just for praying and fasting continually in the temple, but it's now actually a picture of our lives everywhere we go. We are the living sacrifices. No more goats or sheep on the altar where some like, you know, priest goes in on behalf of us. Now it's like you and I are this living sacrifice because of Jesus' great work. This is incredible. The, the, the tide has turned. This is your true and proper worship. This is your latria, as Paul would say, worship in all of life. So you have the work of the people, you have liturgy, you have worship in all of life, and then you have another really unique word that you often find translated as worship called proskuneo, proskuneo. And when this word is used for worship, it is like whole body worship, bowing down. Actually, the word you get, the picture, the image you would get if you were to read in Greek is like a full like face down, a lying down, the act of bowing down. That was what proskinesis was in the first century. Ancient writers often used proskinesis to designate the custom of prostration before persons. If a, a noble or a royal came in, what you would do is proskuneo. You would get down and you would bow down at the hem of their garment. And it's interesting, three times in very important pieces in the scriptures, proskuneo is used. This picture of the laying down, bowing down. And uh, I think this is actually the word that's used of the magi when they come to Jesus. The response at, at Jesus when they first see him is proskuneo, is to kind of lay their lives down. Now, you with me? Now this is the kind of, this, this has been revolutionary for me. Because mo I'm not, you know I'm not a judgmental person, but for a lot of people, let's be honest, they typically take one of these three things and kind of embody it as worship. So my friends, like, it's like Bethel and Hillsong songs on repeat, and that is worship, friends. Like, just get it going. Let's just worship as kind of music and, ex and an experience and proskuneo, like whole body, hands in the air, let's worship God. And brothers and sisters, I am all for that, but what I've noticed is that's usually it. It's like we've actually, you know, we've got to leave this moment, though it's as beautiful as it is, and we've got to go out and live and worship in all of life. Now, my other friends, though, I have a lot of friends on the other side that are more the Latria, right? Come from that posture of like, do we, like, do we really need the church? Come on, man, I worship, I'm, I'm at youth sports, I'm at my kids' soccer practice, I'm out for drinks on a Sunday night on Halloween, and I'm just, I'm loving God with heart, soul, mind, and strength everywhere I go. Well, that's, that's, there's part of that, there's part truths in that, 
But what I find is that these things can often be in conflict with each other. I don't need the liturgy of the people because I'm worshiping in all of life. Or all we need to do is sing and worship God. I think this is a holistic picture of what the scriptures lead us to when we talk about worship. This is what we mean. And this is the, hopefully the thing that we could lead our community in, is people living in all of life, in vocations, in their jobs, living this out for the glory of God in everything, absolutely, but also that the liturgy of the people would be important. And there would be times and places and spaces where we lay our lives down, we bow down, we bend our knees to King Jesus in allegiance to him. This is the type of holistic worship we want to see happen. You follow me? Now with that said, let's talk about latorgeia, latorgeia, this idea of the work of the people. When we come into a place and space like this, it's really important that we think about the practices and the things that we do. Listen, we've been honest, super honest this fall. Is this really worth it? Like after a pandemic where we've been all sitting in our PJs, like what you didn't know is I had PJ bottoms on every Sunday morning on Zoom and it was amazing. And some of you didn't turn your cameras on, so I'm sure you had more than, like maybe less than PJ bottoms on, which is really, that's, let's, let's move on. Getting off the notes here, right? So. It's hard because we've just shaped our lives around this dislocation, this disorientation. But one of the things we have to do is just ask, like, I, I know we've done this, but specifically at the practices that we do, are, is this important? Does this really, is this really worth it? Because one of the things I think that, and I, I get it, the challenge with a lot of people in church right now is most of the church in the Western context on a Sunday morning has basically been predicated on information. So somebody gets up, they talk for a long time, and then it ends and everybody just goes home. And so I get the questioning and the probing and the challenging of all this, right? Like many people are asking, I, like, listen, I can get that on YouTube. What, what does, why would I go to a place or space to engage that when I can just get a 40-minute or 45-minute talk online? And there's parts of me that agrees. It actually says to us, that there has to be something deeper than just teaching, and teaching is important, we'll talk about this in a minute, but that there's an, an embodied participation of coming to the house together, to gathering together, to coming to the house that is Goodwill Industries or whatever, that the practices that we do would lead us to participate. You're part hopefully, in, a, in a, a setting like this, even right now, you're participating as you're listening. So as I've been thinking about this, and does it matter, is it worth it, I just wanna quickly talk just uh, and wrestle through six of the key practices that we do in communal worship and just talk about them really quick. Each one really quickly. I'm, <laughs> I was gonna say, I'm not trying to convince you that this matters, but actually that's not true, I am. I'm just gonna be honest with you. I, 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 you know, I wanna be edgy and cool and say like, well, you just come to your own conclusion. I hope you do, but like, I'm actually gonna try and convince you here that, that this matters and Here's the beautiful thing. We are, call ourselves a eucharismatic community. One of our vision, part of our vision is to be deeply rooted in the church. So that's why we read the Psalms together. We read from the lectionary. We have scripted prayers. I'll talk about that in a second. We also want to be charismatic in the best sense. We want to be open to the Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit. And I, I think you can actually leave your flags at home for that. Like, I'm cool with flags, but like, I think we can actually experience God together in a particular way that's charismatic and filled with the Spirit. And then we want to be relevant. And I, I don't like that word very much, but it's basically 
saying that we want to be culturally engaged. Some of you come with coffee this morning, and I'm not wearing a cape. I'm, <laughs> I'm definitely not wearing, like, a cape or a collar or anything. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm wearing a Ted Lasso suit right now. So you know, like, the cultural relevance in this church is just so, like, 100. Um, but, you know, your kids... Your kids are watching high-definition defin- de- lessons right now and stuff. So we're trying to merge all this together. Six practices. Here's the first one. Hymns, psalms, and spiritual songs. Music. Music is a fundamental practice in this community. Why? Well, we know that one of the things that music does is it shapes us to our core. I love that we could turn the chairs in today and talk about music, and there would all be all sorts of different styles and tastes and interest, but one of the things that music does is it shapes us. I've said this before, I know we have some of the kids in and we're working on getting kids ministry for higher grades as things open up, but you know, my kids will probably not remember a thing I say this morning, but they will, they will be singing these songs, these, the rhythm of these songs together that we sing. They'll take them with them. There's something repetitive and formational. Not only that, Paul is pretty clear that evidence of the Holy Spirit within a community of people and in persons is singing together. In Ephesians 5, he's listing off like these evidences of like where God is at work and where the Spirit is at work. And he says, don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. There's a word. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. And when you come together, speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit, sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I love the dichotomy here. Um, Like Paul is pretty clear, like you can't be filled with the Spirit if you're filled with other things. You can't be filled with the Spirit if you're filled with the spirits. You like that one? Um, He's just counteracting these things to say, a community that comes together and sings and worships together, that's evidence of God at work. I'll tell you this. Um, I lived through, I grew up in a pastor's home, okay? Hence the therapy side, all right? Why well, I'm in therapy. My kids will be there someday too. It's good. Um, and I lived through the worship wars of the 90s, like some of you were there, right? Like just styles of music and all that kind of stuff. There's something beautiful about a community coming together and singing and bringing hymns and songs and spiritual songs, even when it's not the preference, like, there's a certain style we have here, and with the guests that we've had, they're just, I, I get that. But there's also something beautiful about singing these songs when it's like, man, this song is not my style, but there's something bigger happening within the community together. Hymns and songs and spiritual songs, they, they shape us probably more than, than we know. And that's why we take time and we're really articulate in how we choose songs and the things that we're declaring and what we're engaging in because it's a practice for us that matters. Hymns and songs and spiritual songs. Next one, two. And by the way, isn't it funny you get like six points? Has this ever happened? I am not like a three point, six point. I'm not a numbers person, but you're getting it this morning. You're welcome. It's good. Reading of scripture, reading of scripture. Listen to what Paul says to Timothy uh, in 1 Timothy. He says, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech and conduct and love and faith and purity. And most of us, like, we love that. Yeah, don't let anybody look down, especially when you're young. Don't look down on me because when I'm young. Verse 13, until I come, listen to what Paul says. Devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to the preaching and to teaching, and don't, do not neglect your gift 
which was given you through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Fascinating that Paul, one of his instructions is to Timothy, this younger understudy and this protege, is when you get together, do not neglect the public reading of Scripture. And it's true that sometimes it seems as though you could gather for all sorts of fun stuff on a Sunday morning, but often what could be lacked is the public reading of Scripture, the vi- one of the very things that Paul actually says we must engage in. So about five years ago, four years ago, uh, we kind of got turned on to this thing called the Revised Common Lectionary, which is like an Anglican, uh, the Anglican community often uses, and some Catholic churches as well, but the Anglican community uses to kind of lead them in the reading of uh, the Psalms, of a New Testament reading and an Old Testament reading, as well as a gospel reading. And we've just taken every single week the reading of the Psalms together and taken it and opened it up as a way for us collectively together to read scripture. There's no judgment here in any way, but for many of us, when we come to a gathering like this, you think back to your week and you're like, we know the Bible's important, we know the story and the the narrative of the scriptures is important in life shaping, but then we also often neglect to read it. And so one thing it does is obviously, and we walk through teaching series through books of the Bible and all of that, but One of the things it does is when we read, Marco got up this morning, it may seem insignificant, but it's a moment for us to read out, to get to use our mouths, not just to sing, but to form our lives by reading the Psalms together. We take it seriously. I believe it actually forms us. Now, have you ever with me, I know we're running out of time here, have you ever read with me though, like one of us gets up and leads us in the Psalms, and you're like, what is going on here? Anybody ever had this moment where it's like, it can kind of almost seem like the psalmist is feeling a little violent towards their enemies. Anybody? It, crazy, eh? And so a few weeks ago, we had one of those little portions because we're trying to be faithful to the, to the lectionary. And somebody came up, uh, somebody knew. It was a wonderful conversation. And she just said, like, that was pretty gnarly. Like, that little, little line before God is good. Like, I think it had to do with, like, the destruction of enemies and stuff like that. And she's like, how do we reconcile this? And I said, Exactly. This is the point. I don't think the point is necessarily to figure it all out, but to know and understand that very real people in real circumstances, in real times, where their enemies were all around them, and with feeble human hearts writing some of these things, we now look back and we engage it. And now, obviously, we look through the cross and we know that God has called us to love and to justice in this world. But part of this is that the narrative and the story shapes us. And this is why even the public reading of Scripture, in a sense, as we walk through books of the Bible as well, we commit to doing that throughout the year, it's important because you don't skip over the hard stuff. Like when you get to 1 Corinthians and there's all sorts of like, why are we reading about this guy doing this with his stepmother? You know what I'm talking about? There's kids in the house, so we'll just be a little caught. You're just like, we don't avoid it because we're committed to not just hearing somebody teach on it, we're committed to reading it. So we do this with the lectionary. So, hymn, psalms, spiritual songs, uh, the reading of scripture, and of course prayer, obviously, right? But you know what's fascinating? You read the unfolding of the church in Acts. In Acts 2, it talks about this church at Pentecost bursting forth. They're growing, and they devote themselves, it says, in your English Bible, it says, they devote themselves to prayer. You know what's fascinating is that actually in the original language, If you were to translate it, it's probably better translated, they devoted themselves to the prayers. Now you're like, that doesn't mean anything to me. Well, 
Think about it. Could, is it possible? I'm not, we're not sure on this 100%, but it seems like the early church, even in that moment, weren't just devoted to prayer, but to the prayers, which says to us that there was probably circulated common prayers that the community would actually pray together, that they would do that. I grew up in a, an environment very free-flowing. Somebody would get up and pray, and it was kind of off the cuff, and there, we do that. We'll never stop doing that. That's wonderful. But there's actually something beautiful, too, about being devoted to the prayers. And so that's why we end our gatherings by praying, often scripted prayers from the common book of prayer. And we often use throughout the year different types of prayers that are not off the cuff, but that have actually been crafted and articulated by church mothers and fathers from the past. And that, it, you can still dress up like Ted Lasso on Halloween and like, you know what I'm saying. Like we can still be engaging on, on this front as far as a church, but I still think engage in the history of what has gone before us. Many of you know Tish Warren, she's an Anglican priest. Many of you have probably read her work. She wrote a wonderful book called The Liturgy of Ordinary, but her recent book, uh, Prayer in the Night, is just a wonderful, wonderful book. And she talks about, she, talk, she basically said, answers in one little snippet in her book why this whole crafted prayer thing. Like, why would I read prayers from church mothers and fathers? This is what she says. Love this. She says, when we pray the prayers we've been given by the church, the prayers of the psalmists and the saints, the Lord's prayer and the daily office, we pray beyond what we can know. I love that. We pray beyond what we believe or drum up in ourselves. Others, other people's prayers, she says, discipled me. They taught me how to believe again. The sweep of church history, sorry, the sweep of church history exclaims, um, lex orandi, lex credendi, that the law of prayer and the law is the law of belief. We come to God with our little belief, however fleeting and feeble, and in prayer, we're taught to walk more deeply into truth. Love that. She, she goes on. When my strengths waned and my own words ran dry, I needed to fall into a way of belief that carried me. I needed other people's prayers. Now, she's talking about that on her own, in her own journey. And if you know anything, this is not the time for this. We are, I'm all, we've totally shifted towards fixed hour prayer and using scripted prayers in your own life. But as I read this, I just got thinking about our community. How many of you this morning, let's be honest, amongst everything you're going through, are just, you've run dry. You need, in some ways, you need somebody else's words to put to light what you're feeling as you come to corporate worship. You with me? And so this is why we do this often. Prayers, yes, obviously off, you know, off the cuff, spontaneous prayer. But, man, we just want to continue to engage in this idea of the prayers. You with me? One, two, three, four. Teaching. Oh, yeah. All right. This is going to be like, we'll talk about half an hour on this one. Because it's just, that's all we should do is just have teaching, right? You know, like, eh, whatever. Teaching. Teaching obviously, obviously has been an important part of communal worship. Um, but there's a difference. I just want to talk quickly. There's a difference between preaching and teaching. The usual word for preacher in the New Testament like a preacher, was actually a herald. So, I know we don't have a ton, ton of time for this, but a herald would be somebody that like a Roman emperor or a leader would send to a city or town or village, and they would go there and they would come with good news to the town. Now, often Caesar did this. He would send a herald in on a horse and... <laughs> 
it was kind of good. It was good news for Caesar because they would go in and say, basically, Caesar is conquered and Caesar is Lord. And so for many people in their response to that, that was a good thing, that they had the security of the Roman Empire, even though basically Caesar used force. So the word teacher, or sorry, preacher, that, that's kind of the image we get. A teacher, the usual word for teacher, was more of an instructor, someone who explained or taught something to someone. So I'd put it like this. Preaching is proclaiming, like heralding the good news of Jesus, and we need that. Announcing the kingdom of God, the gospel, all of that. We, we need that. Teaching, though, is explaining things about the gospel or explaining things about something that people don't understand and instructing them how to live in light of it. Now, we need both of these things, but probably in a context of communal worship together like this, we probably need teaching more than we do preaching. We need preaching. Jesus is king, you with me? We give our allegiance to him. But as well, here we are, you know, kind of uppity people here in the 21st century in London, Ontario, where you have the world in your pocket in this thing called a smartphone. And we, cultures change so much. And you have these ancient texts and ancient instruction from thousands, like millennia ago it's probably teaching we need more than ever in this type of context because the chasm has widened and so that's why we slow down here and we wrestle through things like what is the church and our response and what this means for us. We need moments where there's people that have wrestled with this, not that they're necessarily experts, but that come to help bring the context for how we can live this out in the here and now. So I know I'm biased on this, but I actually think contextual teaching, like what Paul talks about in the church, is more important now than ever, because I read a law <laughs> with Ava, we're reading through some of the Old Testament last week, and it was like, don't boil a goat in its mother's milk. Does that spawn on some questions? Prob pro probably spawns on some questions, right? Like, does this matter? What does this mean for us? We need in good instruction in the church, especially with the chasm between us. You with me? Follow me. So, these practices, hymns, songs, spiritual songs, prayer, the reading of scripture, teaching, and then the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is one of the key practices here. And here's the beautiful thing about the Lord's Supper. As you listen and engage and participate in that way right now, in a couple minutes, you will get up and we will engage with our senses. In a few minutes, we'll walk up, and I know it's kind of like prepackaged right now because of COVID, but we'll move to the tables will engage this, our senses, we will taste salvation. We will eat together a meal in Jesus' name. It's not just about information, it's not just about a well-crafted, hard-worked, you know, like teaching or whatever. This is about a moment. This is about some of you that are into music, the crescendo of the gathering coming to the table. And I know it can seem insignificant when it's just like a little pack prepackaged thing, but I want us to think way beyond and think to the formational nature of what happens when we get up and we eat and we drink as a community. We also, it doesn't just end here, but this is, this is the thing that we do in community. We, we have communion together, but the hope is, is that we also eat meals in Jesus' name out in communities together. And my hope is, is that as we get up, there's a sense that, that God is um, among us, that as we eat and drink, it's, it's forming us at our core. It's shaping us. It's showing us that Jesus came into real places and I know it's like not bread and wine, it's more like packaged wafer and grape juice, but it shows us that 
even the raw elements of this world, grains and uh, wine from the vine, that this is not disconnected. We're not disconnected, disembodied people, but this is earthy. This is God cares. He gives us uh, food and wine to drink and eat together. The bread and the cup is a way to remember him. So one, two, three, four, five. And then here's the one. So there's a couple more we could talk about like the th- of things that shape us in this community. One being the confessions of, confession of sins, which is like, I've read through the New Testament again and we'll, we'll do this one on another day. I did not, we're not gonna talk about it this morning, but my mind is kind of blown that every time the church got together, they confessed their sins together and they created space for that and that's just weird for us. Can I get an amen? Like some of you, that's trauma, you know, like from your past is just like building up as you think about people that wanted you to share things that didn't. Honestly, there's part of me as I come to it, this is just a side note, I don't even fully know how to, to implement that. This is gonna be something we'll probably grow in because I know it's hard for a lot of us. But the one that we do not talk a lot about is connection and community. So our gathering like together in rows or whatever lasts about 60 minutes maybe, just over. But one thing we've been saying is it doesn't just stop here. Like, like when we do a prayer in a few minutes here at the end of our gathering that I believe shapes us, we're not done. It's been so beautiful. I just want to say it's been so beautiful the last number of weeks. People turning in and just we've shortened the gathering to say spend, I know it's COVID, I know there's weird distant stuff, but like, to spend time together, because that is the church. This is what it is, and it's actually something that my kids see and your kids see. It's something that shapes and forms us. You know, it's interesting. A few years ago, a church leader dude, a real nice guy, his name's Barnabas, he tweeted out this. He said this. He said, church leaders, the greet your neighbor portion of a worship service does not follow the golden rule. Nobody wants to be treated that way. And so his assertion is, you know when you tell people to turn around, or we used to do four minutes of family, we're legit in the middle of the gathering. We just have people hang out, talk to each other. And we, remember, we could never get anybody back and focused because it was just like people love talking and engaging. Basically, he's saying, you know, that whole turnaround to your neighbor portion, like it's not the golden rule. And if you're a pastor and you're implementing in this church, maybe you should just think about it not being anything really important. Now, here's the thing. I actually, we can disagree. I find this guy actually insightful. And in some ways, that type of statement resonates with me. So many of you know, for the most part, I'm an introvert. Anybody with me? Support group, community group at Praxis Church of Introverts. Let's go. We'll just all be awkward around each other. I love it. You know, I know I'm not the life of the party. And at the end of the day, I do like reading books written by dead guys. And I often joke with our team here, you know, like when new people come in, listen, I understand just the step it takes to come to a church. If I were to go to a new church, I'd probably quietly slip in the back and then slip out. That's just my personality. But it's interesting. Back to this tweet. As Twitter goes, his dad, so Barnabas's dad, who's a well-known pastor in the evangelical world, actually affirmed this twerk, tw- tw- twerk, this tweet. <laughs> he affirmed this tweet, all right? No, it's Halloween, but hello. And he he came on to Twitter and just kind of affirmed, like, yeah, like, and this is what he said. He said, in, a, in kind of affirming this tweet that we don't really need to turn in towards each other. He said, right, here's what we did in our church for 33 years. He said this, this is what we did. Come on the lookout for God, and then you leave on the lookout for people. 
Are you following me? So the son tweets and says, that whole like turning into people at the gathering, that's kind of lame. And the dad gets on and says, yeah, like for 35 years, I built my church on, we're going after God. We're looking after God. Do you really need to turn around and greet your neighbor? You know, like that's kind of lame. Basically, follow me, please, because this is important. This was an affirmation that the whole greet your neighbor thing in church services doesn't need to be done, mainly because gatherings are for God, not for people, right? And I just want to preface, I have tremendous, I do have a tremendous amount of respect for these guys, both of them I do, but I want to push back on this because this is really dangerous theology. These type of statements right here you know, we just come for God. We come on the lookout for God, but not for people. The whole, like, you engage people out there, but not in here. They sound, that sounds really spiritual, but something is missing in this. The fact is, please hear me, our worship as the church cannot be dislocated from our love of neighbor, especially our brothers and sisters in the church. And when we come on the lookout for God, like when we come to corporate worship together to like engage and come together to worship God, it has to create with us a a deep and sincere looking out for our brothers and sisters in the church. And please somebody say freaking amen, right? Somehow along the way, we've created churches, especially in the Western world, where in the name of worship, right, people come in, they sit forward for an hour, an hour and a half if you go to a really spiritual church or whatever, they watch the show and then they go home. And it's odd to me that the church, which, by the way, it's, hard to, it's interesting to tweet something like that when the church primarily started around tables and having meals together, that was the weekly gathering, is now questioning whether or not we should even greet each other in our gatherings. My Ted Lasso mind is going to explode, right? So with all that said, this leaves me thinking a lot about worship are we really worshiping God if we're not engaging the church family? Right? Like I know some of us love Latergeo, like the laying our lives down and singing and engaging and even soaking in God's presence, I'm all for those, but are we really worshiping God if we're ignoring the church family? Here's the thing, could we sing songs? Could we study scripture yet actually miss worship? because we're cultivating gatherings that avoid each other. You know, it's been my experience over the last decade or so that many of the people, and this is maybe a judgment, I, I, I hope my heart's in the right place, but that many of the people that are most passionate about in-depth Bible study are the ones that actually don't want anything to do with people. People that want to sing sometimes don't want anything to do with their brothers and sisters. Is this really, is this real, my question would be, is this really worship? if we're like singing songs and reading the Bible, but can't turn into our brothers and sisters. So here's what I'd say. So be on the lookout for God. Yes, absolutely. But this looking out for God will inevitably lead us to our brothers and sisters as an act of worship. Which means maybe, just maybe, you'll once in a while have that awkward moment at the greet your neighbor or when we ask you to turn around part of the gathering and it's okay. It could be awkward every once in a while. But may, I often think, maybe, just maybe, it turns into something much deeper than that. And from my experience, honestly, um, it usually does. It usually does. Come on the lookout for God, yes. But brothers and sisters, um, 
It's about turning, connecting, and this is actually a practice that shapes us each and every day. Now, here's the thing. People will say this, and I know especially there's going to be lots of critique after uh, COVID, like the church boring, like I hear this, right? Like, why get out of bed? Why, like, put down my brunch mosa to come to church on a Sunday morning? When people ask me about the church, here's what would happen 10 or 15 years ago. I talk about the program or what the service looked like or about like how good things were or how many people came or whatever. That was like, that would be the thing that would roll off my lips. When people say church is boring, I'm just like, man, you have not met these people, right? Because it's a gathering of people. We want to critique church like a movie, like, oh, it's five out of five. Like, yeah, the music was kind of off. The, the, the guy up front had a creepy mustache and he was wearing a visor to church. Like, what's going on? Some of you are coming back because of the visor. I know it. It's great. Um, you know, we critique church kind of like a movie. But I think about when people now ask me about the church, all I've just positioned in my heart as people ask about church is I talk about the people that come together. Because see all this? It's going to change. The LED fade, I'm sure, will be different in five years from now. TVs will probably have like, what are, what are, what's actually people in the room, but they're like monograms or whatever they're called? What, what are they called? Holograms, sorry, holograms, thank you. Like it's stuff around here is going to change. The church is the people together. And so connecting in community, we've created a space in this just to say we're shortening our gatherings a little bit. And you, we all are these people that serve each other. This is what the church is, okay? So hymns, psalms spiritual songs. They shape us. Corporate prayer, right? The prayers, the reading of scripture, the Lord's Supper together. What was the other one? Um, I'm missing one. I shut my notes. Don't ever do that. Uh, Teaching together, of course, the most important one I forgot. The Lord's Supper and this idea of connecting a community uh, in community together is a way in which I just believe, is it worth it? All, all, I, can, all I feel like in this moment is saying is you tell me. What do, what, are, what, do we, what, what do we want? Of course, this is worth it. The shaping, forming nature of these things. 